Hello, hello, welcome, and welcome back to Blazers for Goalposts. As ever, I am joined by my co-host Joe, and our good friend Yoni is here too. We do, of course, also have a special guest on the call today, and Joe will be introducing him very soon. Yoni, you were last on, I believe, when we recorded with Gunner Punner a little while back. What's been going on in your life since then? Thanks, Kai, and thanks for having me on again. Um, since then, been pretty busy with work. Also started playing football again uh, in the same team as Joe. Um, so that's been fun. We've had a good run of results, and it's been nice to get outside. Um, but as you may be aware, things in the UK are going south again a little bit. So things are starting to close up. Um, and not particularly looking forward to that. But other than that, uh, pretty well, thanks. Yeah, good to have you, Yanni. Have you been playing in goal for that team by any chance? Uh, yeah, I've been reprising my role as the cat from the school days. <laughs> yeah, El Gato. Um, Joe, we're recording now, unfortunately for, I suppose, you and our guest after the Spurs versus West Ham game that happened today. So I'm sure, Joe, you'll remember that Bale was originally a bad luck charm for Spurs when he first signed because essentially you never won when he played. Today he came on for his second debut and you proceeded to concede a three-goal lead. So I'm hoping that that's a sign of how this season's going to play out. But, Joe, honestly... Um, what did you make of that game? Hi, Kai. Yeah, obviously, haven't really fully processed it yet. Pretty pretty gutted after everything that happened. Obviously, we were so good at the start. Then we all know what happened after that. But yeah, it is what it is. I mean, this is Tottenham Hotspur after all. So I'm sure it's going to be an interesting season one way or another. But Tottenham aside, I am very excited to welcome our guest to the show today. Andrew Keane is a celebrated entrepreneur and an author and even a podcaster too. Um, but most importantly, he is a huge Spurs fan. Andrew, I imagine, I, mean, I probably know the answer to this question, but how are you doing today? Yeah, that was, uh, that was quite an experience, wasn't it? Um, yeah, God. Yeah, my daughter, who's 18 and a, a hardcore Spurs fan, she was with me at the, the final in Madrid last year. Amazing that it was like, was it last year? Yeah, I guess it yeah, was. Yeah, a year and a bit. Year. Yeah, yeah. Um, she was texting me when they were three and a half saying, Oh, we're going to win the league. So it brings everyone's down to earth, I think. And um, yeah, well, what can you say? As you say, it's just ridiculous. Although they had, they flirted with the, they, they had a couple of games last year when they were three nil up. And then they, there was a West Ham game and there was another game. I think it was against Bournemouth when they Bournemouth. were three nil up and then they were three two. And they hung on. So what, at some point, you're going to be 3-0 up. You'll give away two stupid goals. And then somehow, they'll manage to score a third. So it really will sting them. I mean, Mourinho will be incandescent. And Aurier is giving away that free kick at the end. It's just so classically Aurier. And I, I'm, I wasn't really watching for the first goal that carefully. But I'm guessing he gave the free kick away for the first goal, too. Probably. And then the second goal was ridiculous. I mean, it was a... Sanchez really dumb own goal so all three of the goals were yeah and Kane hit the post and, and Bale should have scored at the end so yeah it's hard to it's hard to accept that one I mean uh, uh, hopefully they'll um they'll do the reverse at some point they have no chance of winning the league and if, if people start talking about that it's just absurd they're absolutely no chance well harry redknapp's uh, already already chimed in now. and said that you can yeah well exactly well when he says something <laughs> uh yeah just uh, as long as the players don't say anything dumb and just enjoy their pain and the grief of that anyway what can you do
Yeah, life of the Tottenham fan, sadly. Um, but away from Tottenham for just one second, um, we noticed, Andrew, that your um, cover photo on your Twitter account is actually just grey. It's just a grey um, block. So it got us... Is thinking... it? Yeah, it I is. I can't remember. Yeah. Just a grey <laughs> block of what? Just, just, just a grey block of grey, I suppose. <laughs> I think maybe, um, yeah, there's, you know, there's potential for, um, for something new there. But it got us... I, um... didn't, I didn't know that. <laughs> but it got us thinking about... Um, interesting colours that have been used in football kits kind of in the past so um just as a yeah. start i think my favorite non-traditional kit has to be the one lucas mora was wearing a year ago or so when he scored the hat trick um against ajax yeah that was a sort of green sort of aquamarine style yeah exactly so that's maybe yeah. sentimental reasons but that was quite a good one but yeah i was interested do you have a favorite kit from the year down the years that was a bit weird uh, spurs or just in general could be spurs um, any yeah, I don't know. That's a good question. Well, I mean, obviously everyone loves Peru. Yeah, with the sash. Yeah, that's a great um, And I saw that Southampton had a nice kit yesterday against Chelsea, which was their sort of Peru lookalike. I mean, the Brazil kits, obviously. I think my favourite, though, is the Italian kit. That beautiful blue, you know, and the classic Italian teams. And they never change anything. So it's always, they're perfectly outfitted. Um, I mean, the, the Juventus kit's nice, although that brings some pain back as well i don't know english kits less so i don't know are there any classic uh english kits i can't think of any well i mean i would throw the bruised banana arsenal kit into the into that hat but yeah. maybe uh... Uh, one of my most painful moments as a child was the yellow one when the charlie george the yellow kit so yeah that was bad i mean i like the spurs white just the classic white obviously the oh Jim yeah greaves cool. The Jimmy Greaves, the double winning, and then the Jimmy Greaves kit of the, of the 60s was probably, obviously, my favorite. <laughs> Simple, classic, white, cockerel, that's it. And, and especially when they played in all white in Europe uh, in the 60s, when they, won the UA, uh, when they won the Cup Winners' Cup in 63, or for their run in Europe in, in 62 in the European Cup, when they were cheated, by the way, out of the first final. Everything would have been different had they not had a German referee. And uh, they got cheated in that final, in the semi-final against Benfica because Benfica won the final against Madrid. And had Spurs beaten Benfica, which they should have, um, then the whole history of European football and the whole history of the world would have been different, I think. <laughs> Not only European football. It's like the cockerel effect instead of the butterfly effect. Yeah, um, we would have been Real Madrid. We would have won the European Cup six times in a row. Sounds like you were doing a Real Madrid impression with the the white kit in the Champions League full white. We were, and it was conscious. It was it yeah. was there was no secrets. Yeah. They the they wore that all that they wore the white because of the Madrid side of the of the late fifties. So, but it is a beautiful kit, and I guess the Madrid side also, obviously that white kit. You know that song? All I want for Christmas is uh, what is it? Um, uh, <laughs> uh, 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 a, a Prague. What is it? Uh, all I. It's a uh, it's a brilliant song. Uh -huh. Not the Mariah Carey one. No, no, all I want for Christmas is a. It's not Slovan Bratislava. Oh, all I want for Christmas is a Dukla Prague. Oh, do you know that? I don't know. No. Uh, all I want for Christmas is a Dukla Prague away kit. It's fantastic. Half man, half biscuit. All I want for Christmas is a Dukla Prague away kit, and it's a song about Subutia. And they're a Liverpool band, but it's brilliant. 
And we played Dukla Prague in the in our European in our European Cup run. We beat them in the quarterfinals, so that has particular resonance for Spurs fans. The other Prague, I guess. Yeah, not Sparta. <laughs> or even Slavia. Yeah, and I, I think Dukla Prague was that was when Czechoslovakia was obviously Czechoslovakia. That was before before the war came down, while the communists ran the show there. And Dukla Prague was the communist team. It was the army team. So. Uh, they, I don't think that even the team exists anymore. Or if yeah, they, yeah. they do, they're like in the third division or something. <laughs> well, um, Yoni, what would you say your sort of non your your favourite sort of non traditional kit is if you had to say one? Um, so this one isn't one spotted by a team as much an individual player and a personal and I guess cult hero of mine, which is Jose Luis Chilavert, the Paraguayan goalkeeper um, during the nineteen nineties, early two thousands. And his nickname as a player was El Bulldog, which means the Bulldog, unsurprisingly. And in his time as Quilmes goalkeeper, which is a team in Buenos Aires, and his time in the national team, instead of wearing whatever the uh, kit uh, manufacturer's standard goalkeeper kit would have been, he just had a massive cartoon Bulldog on his shirt with the name of the team he was representing underneath, which really fit his personal brand it also got me thinking wouldn't it just be a better world if footballers always wore a cartoon of their nickname on their shirt instead of just whatever they usually wear so like javier hernandez wearing a a, a little p cartoon p as in the vegetable obviously um or i don't know francis jeffers wearing a fox in captivity on the front of his shirt would have also been um quite nice but yeah, I looked it up. They are available, but for about £75. So maybe I'll have to save up. Well, yeah, Yanni, that sounds like a pretty good one. Shilavere, I remember him as that free kick specialist goalkeeper mm. who scored a goal from inside his own half once, I think, even a free kick. What about you, Kai? What's your, what's your favourite non-traditional kit? <clears throat> a bit of cheating, as I usually do in these mini sort of intros, but it's not the kit. It was two kits. Um Arsenal beat Roma 3-1 in the Champions League many years ago and Thierry Henry scored a hat-trick. And we wore our regular away kit from that year, which was like a couple different shades of blue. That was the top. And then for some reason, we couldn't wear the blue shorts. So I remember from that game vividly that we wore the white shorts, maybe even the home kit socks as well. But just between the result and the kind of mismatch of the top and the shorts, that was quite a memorable one. And then honestly, Yanni's thing reminded me of another Southern American goalkeeping kit and it's Ferro de General Pico who play in the Torneo Federal A division in Argentina they brought out a few years ago a goalkeeper's kit that was just green but then it has that iconic image of Homer Simpson from uh, that episode where he's like coming out of the bushes and that's imposed onto the jersey so so that it looks like he's like coming out of the the kit and um Somewhat regrettably, I have that same image as a tattoo in real life. So I have a, I have <laughs> oh a personal God. connection to that kit. Um, luckily, it's hidden. So people only see it if I want them to. <laughs> and he managed to get hold of a Duke Braga away kit because his uncle owned a sports shop and he kept it to one side. And after only five minutes, he'd be down to ten men because he sent off your right back for taking the base from under his left winger. We have a few more personal questions for you, Andrew. So, much like yourself, I made the move stateside from England. No, oh, where do you live? I'm in I'm in Los Angeles because because beyond that similarity, I also enrolled into the UC system. So I was at UCLA. Ah. I, I know you went to Berkeley. So that's something else yeah. that we have in common: the UC system. But 
my experience obviously was in Southern California. Yours was uh, yeah. in Northern California with that regard. Uh, you got a master's degree out of it. And I, I certainly didn't get close to a master's degree on my end of things, but um, you know, just a few small differences. Otherwise, we both stuck around on the West Coast. So I wanted to ask you yeah. at least uh, for yourself, why is that? Why, why are you a West Coaster these days? Why did you stay? Well, that's um, a complicated question. Um, and actually, I got thrown out of Berkeley. It's one of the things I'm most proud of. So <laughs> I, that's quite impressive. Uh, wow. That is impressive. You have to be particularly obnoxious to be thrown out. <laughs> Spurs hooligan. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. So that was, that's one of my claims to fame. Um, I think, well, there's, there's two questions bound up there. So why am I in on the West Coast versus the East Coast? So if you're going to be in America, East Coast versus West Coast, I don't like the East Coast. And then why I'm in America or over Europe, that's a good question, which I ask myself, especially these days, actually, relatively frequently. I do think that when you leave England, whilst it, it's very reassuring and fun and all the rest of it in lots of ways, it does seem, once you come to America, England seems really small. It seems like a footnote, which I think it is. So once you're in America, for all its annoyances and all the rest of it, which are pretty obvious these days, um, it's hard to, and, and most of the people I know, most people don't go back to Europe because once you're here, it's just, there's more, more happening, more opportunity, more money. It's just everything there's more of. So, um, and I'm lucky enough in pre-COVID days, I would come back to Europe once or twice a month because I do a lot of public speaking. So, um, so I think I had the best of all worlds. Um, and the weather, obviously. I mean, the, I don't like the East Coast weather. It's hot, too hot, too cold, too wet. I do like the weather here, although the last few days it's been horribly hot. It's been warm. Like it's been very warm. And when you don't have air conditioning, it's that much warmer too. But <laughs> it's hard by. to hear you complaining about warmth, to be honest. It's, it's not right. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, I like London weather. I mean, I grew up there. So rainy, 55 degrees is fine with me. Well, Andrew, you mentioned earlier about. I guess kind of before all this COVID stuff started that you were regularly traveling to Europe and all around mm. the world too. And given that I know that you obviously you watch all the Spurs games and you yeah. go to Spurs games when you're in London, I was just keen, not including being at a Spurs game. What's um, the most memorable place where you've watched a Spurs game? Well, that, yeah, that's an easy one given last year. I mean, I was, it was interesting for the second leg of the semi-final, uh, I went to the first leg uh, in London, and then um, I also went to the quarterfinal, and I was going to go to the game in, in Amsterdam, and then I would have paid for a ticket. They were expensive, but I got a lot of friends in Amsterdam, and I go there a lot. And anyway, it didn't work out because I had a speech in Copenhagen. Nice. No, uh, Stockholm. It was Stockholm. So I couldn't, I, I couldn't combine. So I, I had to watch it on TV. So my plan was to come back to London and watch it at Heathrow because I was staying in London that night and then coming back. So I didn't want to miss the game. So, but I didn't want to wait in Stockholm because that was a pain in the neck too. So of course I get to the airport um, in Stockholm and the flight is delayed two hours. <laughs> which, so we touch down at Heathrow and it's 2-0 IX. Half time, so I think, oh, it was. Talk to my brother and blah blah. Two nil, I think. Well, they're three nil down, and they were terrible in the first leg. 
Um, they were lucky, I thought, to get out even with a one nil. I mean, I had yeah, so sure. dominated them. So I figured, well, that's the end of it. So I wasn't even going to get a cab to the... Um, I wasn't going to get a cab to the hotel because I thought, what's the point? I'm not even going to watch it. So I'm on this bus, a red bus, going from Heathrow to the airport. It's one of those airports on the ring road, you know, around Heathrow, because I was just going to get up in the morning and go back to the United States. So I'm on the bus. I get a text from my brother. Oh, it's 2-1. And then like two minutes later, oh, it's 2-all. So uh, we're going past the Sheraton Hotel on the ring road. So I jump off the bus and jump into the, the Sheraton there. And I saw the last 25 minutes or 30 minutes of the second half. I don't know, how, whatever it was. And that obviously, when they scored at the end, I just, I couldn't believe it. Uh, but that was by far the most memorable game I've ever seen on the road. It was just astonishing. I mean, where were you, Joe? I was actually with my dad um in the sports bar and grill in farringdon <laughs> yeah, didn't you nearly have a fight or something he told me or there was some oh, yeah i did I, 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 I might have confronted some chelsea fans after mora made it 2-1 but yeah that, <laughs> that yeah that did happen as well but yeah the, the yeah. memories of when um of when mora got the third goal was something yeah else. i'll never i mean i have two or yeah. three just memories which will never go away obviously the via goal when i was there the mora goal and then one or two, I mean, with your father, I was there with the Juventus goal, which was just sickening. I mean, so many sickening moments, too. Oh, too many. Uh, but yeah, on the road. And I do try religiously to watch every game I can. So they're almost always on. So I've been to so many. You know, I was in, I was just thinking last November, I was in Brazil and I watched a, a game in a bar. I mean, you can watch all the games everywhere now. So I rarely, rarely miss a game. Um, one of the things that, we all have in common is that we went to the same school in North London. Yeah. And we've spoken before on a previous podcast about our memories of playing football at school. And I just wanted to get yeah. a flavor from you of like, what memories do you have of football in school, talking about it with your friends, playing it with a school yeah. or at break times or whatever? Um, I don't remember ever playing it. I mean, I mean, we played not very seriously but i was never very good so i didn't play in any of the school teams but yeah the annoying thing was going on a saturday so <laughs> i remember joe i don't know if your father's ever told you he and i once went to an away west ham game in our school uniform oh yeah i, have heard <laughs> I don't know how we actually got out of that one alive you know and i think we stood in the the north bank of the of of, of the old upton park you know which was a really nasty place um yeah so not I think that, do they still have the Saturday, did they have Saturday school when you were going? No, they, they got rid of it by the time, but we would yeah, I mean, play games on Saturday, but yeah. I mean, really, really was absurd to, I mean, it was, when I, I don't know what it was like for you guys, but when I went, it was a terrible school. We never learned anything. We were all hooligans. So having that extra day just meant we learned, we just had another day where we ne didn't learn anything and we're hooligans. It wasn't like it added anything. <laughs> it was just absurd why they had, saturday school uh, you know and we were we were at school in the so i was at highgate between 72 and 78 which was you know the dark days yeah so yeah the highgate did not and it was easier to get to arsenal so when they were at arsenal it was always easy to get the bus you used to get the the old the 210 bus which stopped right outside the old ground 
And um, and getting to Spurs was a pain because we used to, I used to live, you know, we used to get the 102 bus before we could drive. And that was, but it took a long time. It was easier to get to uh, QPR, certainly easier to get to Arsenal, even easier to get to Chelsea by tube. Sounds like you could have saved yourself a lot of hassle in that case. And just I'll go uh, to Arsenal, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Were they good in the seven? No, they weren't very good in the seventies either. Were they? No, had an eighteen-year trophy that between seventy-one and eighty-nine. So, um, but uh, and mostly, I, it was interesting the breakdown of. I think there were more Arsenal supporters than Spurs, but you didn't. It wasn't those days. You didn't have. I mean, there weren't Liverpool fans or United fans or Barcelona fans. It was all Spurs, Arsenal, Chelsea. A, a, a smattering of West Ham and QPR and QPR those days, that was the glory days of QPR. So it was the Stan Bowles, Jerry Francis age, and they were really good. I mean, I remember going to away at QPR when I think it was the year, either we almost got relegated or we got relegated. We got absolutely slaughtered there and they were a fantastic team. That was one of the great injustices of the 1970s that QPR didn't win the league with Stan Bowles and, and that team. It's a fantastic team. Bowles should have played for Spurs. He's the sort of quintessential Spurs player. And he managed to get hold of the Duke of Braga wake it because his uncle owned a sports shop and he kept it to one side. And after only five minutes, you'd be down to ten men because he sent off your right back for taking the base from under his left winger. We have spoken a bit, obviously, about Tottenham, but we couldn't have you coming on without talking even a bit more about some of the mighty Spurs. And obviously, we record yeah. today as Spurs have just... Just, just, just had the worst game ever against West Ham, which should. Well, have been... no, I think that's unfair. It wasn't that bad. I mean, they played pretty well. It just sloppy at the end, and and I, and I, I said to my daughter after, um, you know, I, we, if we're top four and we win a cup, we've had a fantastic year. I mean, yeah, I think I think today was more frustrating just from the yeah, yeah. the the, the, the how it ended. But no, I'm you know, every, there's still a lot to be positive about. But yeah, I guess really you've sort of answered my question in terms of, yeah, so for you, a good season for Spurs is top four and a trophy. If you could be offered that now, you'd take that and be Oh, done. absolutely. They're not going to win the league. I, you know, you have to assume that either City or Liverpool will have a good year, right? One of the two. I know Van Dijk got injured and City, you never know, but one of them, but, you know, they're very good. They've got best, the best players, the best managers. And if, you know, Liverpool in particular, if, if the Supporters ever come back, the best supporters. So I, I think Liverpool are still. Who, who do you think are favourites, Liverpool or City? Good question. I don't. I don't. I honestly, at the moment, maybe I'd just say Liverpool, but not confidently. I honestly, I don't know which way it's going to go this season. Feels very. Hard yeah, and it's not surprise. I mean, last year Liverpool had one of those miraculous seasons where everything fell into place, where they didn't have a single injury, where. They'd wrap the league up by Christmas. And when they won, I mean, like that away game at Everton, you know, when the ball hit the Pickford's head at the end. I mean, these were just absurd, absurdly lucky. So they got all their good luck. You knew this year things would be different. And Van Dyke is a god, right? I remember in the Champions League final. I mean, the guy was just, he's so good. Yeah, no, he's he's an outstanding player, but it looks like he won't be playing anytime yeah, soon. Which is, uh, I do, you know, I'm sure most er, everyone outside Liverpool are celebrating. I, I'm not unhappy. I have to say. 
no, yeah, I mean, it was certainly a benefit for all of Liverpool's rivals. But Kai, I know, um, well, Kai and Yoli, but Kai, I know you're an Arsenal fan. Um, but do you have anything to add to the Tottenham chat at the moment? As you've mentioned, Joe, and as I'm sure, Andrew, you can see from the scarves on my wall behind me, I am an Arsenal fan, but I still, um, you know, I still look out for Spurs and I still try to take a step back and sort of like, obviously today was enjoyable, but I try to see it for what it is and you guys have a great team. But on the striker situation, obviously Kane is the man, but going back to the likes of, for instance, Jimmy Greaves, um, Bobby Smith, et cetera, mm. and then even, even Teddy Sheringham, who... Obviously, those other guys I, I wouldn't have been familiar with uh, growing up, but yeah. sharing, even still, he was, I picture him as like a Portsmouth or a West Ham player, even though I know he's famous for his time at Spurs and even, even Man U. But basically, uh, speaking about Kane, I can't imagine that Spurs have ever had a striker better than Harry Kane. So firstly, Andrew, would you agree with that? I don't agree with that. You know, I went to my first game in 1966. I went to the 67 Cup final. So I had three or four or five years with Greaves. I mean, I didn't go to all the games, but I went to quite a lot. So I saw him a lot. And that was when he was in decline on lots of fronts, you know, the alcoholism and physically. It's still one of the great injustices they didn't play in the, the 66 final. So no, I don't think Kane is in the same class as Greaves. Greaves was a world-class player. I think the, the, the problem with Greaves is he, he got an injury in 1964, which slowed him down. But I think the comparison with Greaves is with Messi and his speed and his ability to go past players. Kane is obviously a very good player, but he's not in that class. He doesn't have the speed. He doesn't have the natural. I mean, what's remarkable about Kane is how focused he is and how self-made he is. I mean, he is the model for all aspiring athletes. And he's so single-minded. I mean, that's all he thinks about. He wakes up in the morning. He probably still sleeps with a football. I mean, that's, that's his <laughs> life. And I think the problem with Jimmy Greaves was he was much smarter than Kane and much more vulnerable. You know, he had the disastrous transfer to Milan. And then he had the alcoholism. I mean, his career was cut short, tragically cut short. And his relationship with the manager, Nicholson, was always a bit dodgy. And he had the 60, the, you know, the experience of 1966 when you had at that point in 66, him and Eusebio are the best players in the world. He didn't even play in the final. Mm. Yeah, I mean, if Hurst could score three goals, Greaves could have scored six. It's one of the just, I've never got over that. So, you know, I was six years old at the time. So God knows what Jimmy Greaves went through. But yeah, Greaves for me is uh, above, way above Kane and in, and I still getting over the fact you know for a 10 or 11 year old to see him get transferred to West Ham I mean not that we knew about the alcoholism at the time but there was clearly something really wrong and then in the 70s the team went really bad after he left and then Nicholson left and then they got relegated so but yeah it grieves for you know when you grow it when you're six or seven years old and you've got a picture of, and, and you actually get to watch Jimmy Greaves live there's nothing like that well sticking on Kane I suppose um, and Greaves possibly too. You guys have just signed a backup striker, which has been an issue for kind of yeah. providing him some competition. And if he gets injured for a few years now, this Vinicius fellow's come in and we'll see what he does. But I think you'd imagine that Vinicius and Kane aren't necessarily going to be playing together too often. Um, and yeah. you haven't really seen Kane play with a second striker alongside him much at all in his career, even even for England to an extent. But Well, I don't know if I agree with that because I think the way Sonny plays now, they're basically playing 
well, at the moment, yeah, yeah, it's that, become that, more that, yeah. That does that brings me to my point being that the partnership, whether or not it's as a true front two, the partnership and the communication and the understanding between Kane and Son right now is the yeah. best partnership in the Premier League. Um, do you think that Son is perfect for Kane as that foil, or do you think, for instance, going back through the Rolodex, for instance, like a Greaves, if you could pick a player from the past to play with Kane, do you think anyone could do a better job than Son is doing right now? Yeah, I don't. I mean, um, probably not. But you know, Greaves is better than Kane, so I, I ha God knows how those two would have played together. Oh, um, I mean, Greaves was a much more selfish player than Kane. I mean, what's astonishing about Kane is how unselfish he is, how the quality of his passing, his vision, his defending, I mean, all that stuff. Um, yeah, I mean, the two of them together now are just astonishing. I mean, that's why today is so annoying, because they were so good in the first half. Brilliant. I'm fantastic. For the first 20 minutes, I mean, as good as just, I see. You know, and then they just kind of like, okay, we've won this. And started, I don't know what they were thinking about. It's just... It should, and, and under a... Because I watched the Spurs documentary, and I'm sure the first thing Mourinho said to them was when they came in at halftime, you haven't won this year. And he was right. And he said, you know, you've got to tighten up, don't give them the ball. And then they just basically, the second half, they went to sleep. They just, just wanted to play the game out. But yeah, I think Son and Kane are... You have these periods where, I don't know what other... I mean, we had... I mean, it wasn't as good a partnership, but there was something very romantic about the Archibald Crooks relation when they won the you know in the early 80s um that was a good partnership because they're very different kinds of players uh, i used to like to watch uh keen and berbatov quite a lot yeah keen and berbatov or you know defoe and keen um but yeah these two i think i i don't see how they could the partnership could get any better. I mean, they're fantastic. And they know exactly, and the defenders know exactly what's going on, and there's nothing they can do. I mean, I couldn't believe that, you know, they scored in 40 seconds. The classic goal, you know, Kane to, Kane to Sonny, goal. And then the other way around, the second goal. And I think they're both uh, world-class players. I mean, there was a Guardian best 11 in the world, and obviously neither Spurs, but there was a lot of Liverpool and Bayern players in, but no Spurs. But I would put Sonny and Kane on the bench. You know, they're not that far behind Lewandowski. I don't know who the other forward was. I mean... Yeah, I think it might have been Mbappe in that particular... Yeah, Mbappe 11. is, you know, he's obviously got incredible acceleration, but he's not exactly a selfless footballer. I mean, he hasn't exactly lit it up at Paris Saint-Germain. So I would, uh, yeah, I mean, if who would you prefer? Two teams playing each other, one with Mbappe and Lewandowski and the other with Kane and Sonny and the, and the rest of the team would be the same. I think that Kane and Sonny could give them a good game. He's but so quick, true. son. I mean, I never realized how fast he is. He's brilliant. Right foot, left foot, in the air. He doesn't miss. miss. He just doesn't miss. <laughs> But he's Kane's up the season to like the next level as well. He's he's taken it on a yeah. Gear. I really, in particular, liked Son's finish against United, where he chipped it over to him. Yeah, that was good. Yeah, that it's was just good. like if you can do that, there's not a whole lot the goalkeeper can do at any in in any situation. I mean, the astonishing thing about Kane is how professional, how disciplined he is. He never lashes out. For the amount of times he gets fouled, but no one can ever knock his concentration Kane which is he's I don't think I've ever seen a player who has so much focus and concentration 
I mean, he's not naturally the most talented player in history, but he wants it more than anyone else on the pitch. Yeah, team. I mean, you can just Frank see does. no joke, even in the the documentary. He never makes any jokes. I mean, he's really, I would think, on a personal level, one of the dimmest and most boring people in the universe. His whole, everything about that guy is channeled into scoring goals and winning football matches. That's all he cares about, which is good. I mean, as long as you don't have to spend any time with him. His uh, quote-unquote rousing team talks in that Amazon Prime. Yeah, and then he's the opposite of Delhi. You know, Delhi, who's way smarter and funnier and more interesting, but doesn't seem to have the concentration. I think that's how Mourinho likes it, to be honest with you. He likes to have people, not pawns necessarily, but I don't think he wants too much backlash. So he'll put, I mean, Kane is obviously a useful player more so than Dyer, but I think Dyer would be a better example in that case of just fitting into the Mourinho system personality-wise and yeah. I guess, on the pitch. I mean, it's a, the Dyer, Misha, Joe's father, is, hates Dyer. And I, I used to like him, but I've listened to Misha so many times complaining about Dyer that now I don't like him either. But... <laughs> I think he's playing better under Mourinho. He's physically very strong. If only he could just eliminate his decision. You know, the, 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 yeah, his mistake. Yeah. Like the uh, the one that really stuck out was when he gave the penalty away against Pogba last year in the home game. You know, which was a really important game because it, had they beaten United, they would have been, I think, on the same points for the Champions League. And you could see when Pogba came on, you think, oh, don't do anything stupid. And then Pogba comes on and, and, and Dyer just is made a complete fool of. But I don't know. I don't know what you all think of Dyer. He's physically good. And, and I think Mourinho, maybe he likes him because he speaks Portuguese. I don't know. I think his name sums him up pretty well. <laughs> I'm honest, yeah. that would be my... I like how he's willing to go into the stands and fight people when they make fun of his brother yeah. or say bad things to his brother. Yeah, he's a tough guy and he's... There's no doubt about his commitment or spirit. So, I mean, I think we're still a bit dodgy at the back, obviously, after today. I think bit, yeah. Sanchez also is full of errors. You know, Toby is great, but he's not what he was. You've got not. Joe Roden. you got Joe Roden now. Well, yeah, we'll see we what he's it. like. Who knows? We need Joe Roden. Yeah. <laughs> I can't wait yeah. for the game where you're lining up with Roden, Davies, and Bale, and Spurs are just playing three Welshmen in the starting lineup. We love the Welsh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. must be some time since that happened at Spurs. Uh, <laughs> three Welsh guys, yeah, I don't know. We um, had, uh, well, we had the right Jones yeah. in the 60s, but I don't think we had another Welsh player. Medwin Jones. Is Medwin was, was Welsh? He I don't know. Uh, For some reason in my head, Medwin. I was. Simon Davies flight, flew the flag. Oh, yeah. Time. Yeah, he was <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, Bale is, let's see with Bale. Didn't look very good today, but. He's, yeah, he's not fit yet. He's not, and he nearly scored a good goal. Oh yeah, Medwin was Welsh. Yeah. So him, him, um, Jones, and then maybe one more potentially back then. I don't know if there was another Welsh guy. Mike England was Welsh. That's right? ironic. Surely not. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it was. Yeah. Uh, um, I think England came in about '64. I don't. Know. I can't. I don't oh. think Medwin played very much. That's just like Stephen Ireland. Although Stephen Ireland was actually Irish, wasn't he? Yeah, yeah, yeah. through his various multiple grandmothers who. Yeah, yeah. I'll give them that whole thing. Endless. <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, we've spoken a lot about your experience of being a Spurs fan in general and the highs and lows that come with it inevitably. Um, and I think for many football fans to generalise massively, there's something beyond what happens on the pitch that resonates with them on a personal level, uh, whether it's sort of the history or the culture of the club or the values that yeah. are at least put out there. 
um, yeah. that really enhances the emotional connection beyond winning things or losing together. Um, yeah. And so I want to know, like, if there is something for you, Andrew, what makes you proud to support Tottenham or what resonates with you emotionally there? Yeah. Well, I think, you know, the whole North London Jewish thing, flash, full of ourselves, doesn't matter. You know, even, you know, Arsenal or Anoraks, they're all <laughs> nerds. They're all, you know, you go to a Spurs in the classic old days, you go to a Spurs away game and everyone had a BMW or a Rolls or a Jag. It's a money club full of people who are smart, commercially aggressive. You know, it's sort of summarized by Daniel Levy. So, you know, the whole Jewish thing, the Yid army we love, we're flash. You know, that's who we are. That's who we'll always be. And, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm very proud of that. And, I, you know, the Arsenal, you know, Jimmy Greaves, I think, summed up. He said, you know, when we used to play the Arsenal, we used to show up there and they were all wearing jackets. You know, Spurs <laughs> players wear jackets. And, you know, the whole, you know, marble thing and the Arsenal. So, yeah, so the big difference is Arsenal is nerds, anoraks. Who's that guy who wrote the book about Arsenal? He sums it up. Nick Hornby? Up in yeah. Reading. You know, Arsenal is essentially should be... They started in South London. Somehow they got to North London. But I think their cultural heart is Reading. <laughs> uh, whereas Spurs, you know, Spurs is, Spurs is the big time. We always were the big you know as i said had we not had a german referee in in in, in lisbon in 1962 things would have been very different but um you know we're the real thing as opposed to chelsea who are who think they're the real thing but aren't and i mean that's a i think one of the funny things about football is how teams change and you know, when i was growing up chelsea was such a joke and now obviously they're not which is a bit disconcerting and i think when i was growing up spurs were a very big club you know, we always bought the biggest players. We had the most money. People took us seriously. Now, much less so. There was no phrase Spursy in the in in the sixties or even in the seventies. It would mean something different then, I guess. It'd be a good. I mean, one. yeah. The 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 problem with Spurs is, and as I, and I keep on claiming we're a big match, we're a big team, and all the rest of it. We haven't won anything. So, the, you know, when I was growing up, we won a lot of competitions. We won, you know, I was at the 67 final. We won the League Cup twice in the early 70s. We won the UEFA Cup twice. Um, then we won the FA Cup twice in the early 80s. So the, the drought of trophies is, you know, we were way ahead. And the FA Cup was, I tell my daughter this all the time, the FA Cup was our competition, except for Aston Villa. We'd won it more than anyone by, you know, 82 and now even Arsenal have won it more than us. It's just absurd. I mean, in 82, Arsenal had, I don't know how many times they'd won the FA Cup, maybe twice. So we've definitely fallen behind. One of my favorite stats is in the 1960s, we finished ahead of Arsenal every season except 69. Hmm. So, you know, I'm a nostalgic. For the is that maybe what that Brian Adams song is about? The That's the Brian Adams. Sixty-nine was just that one summer that Arsenal finished above. Um, <laughs> and uh, you know, my favorite film was made in nineteen sixty-nine, uh, the Italian Job. So, yeah, sixty-nine was a watershed year. These things went downhill after that, but the rest of the sixties was fantastic because Arsenal was terrible in the sixties. No, no, I mean, they, they 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 lost to Swindon in the League Cup final. God, 
So that makes the Birmingham one, Kai, that you always talk about not seem so bad. Yeah, we even <laughs> lost, to, was it Luton in a League Cup final as well? We were speaking to, to Ricky Hill. Yeah, um, yeah. So yeah, we like to lose to yeah Minnows in League Cup finals. <laughs> That's our thing, Arsenal. But as you mentioned also, Andrew, we do have plenty of FA Cup, so I can hang on to that. Um, it's interesting to hear you mentioned Jimmy's laughing off the the fact that the Arsenal players are maybe a bit soft wearing like coats and stuff. I wonder what he would have made. Well, I don't think he meant soft. I didn't mean it in that sense. I think that um, he meant that they are, you know, they're a, they're official. They're I run by everyone. And he was like saying like, we don't need coats. <laughs> we're, we're real. No, I don't, he didn't mean it like that. He actually was quite impressed. Okay. Um, but that's the difference. You know, Arsenal, Arsenal fans are anoraks. Our supporters are way more intelligent than yours and wealthier and bigger penises. So generally we are significantly bigger, better, richer than Arsenal fans. I'll take that. And that can be proven empirically, can't it, Joe? Yeah, I'd, I'd say so, yeah. So based on, um, on, on what we've got even on the Zoom call here. I'm I think say we don't need to on the Zoom call. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, well, on that... Um, on that note, I think that's a good time to um, bring things to an end today. But um, Andrew, it's been yeah. a it's thank been a, you. Yes, yeah, a pleasure and an honour to be on your show. How can our listeners um, follow you or what you're up to? How can they uh, keep up to date with all of Andrew Keane's latest things? Well, they can do. To, uh, they can follow me at, on Twitter at AJ Keane, and they I, I have a new startup called Now.TV, which I'm just getting. So they can check into Now.TV, which is a new platform for aggregating video. Uh, and, uh, you know, if they particularly want to connect with me, they can email me at a.keen at me.com. But no Arsenal fans, only Spurs. Yeah, of course. That, that goes without saying. Don't worry I think after me. listening to this, you know, <laughs> we, wouldn't, we wouldn't even have the brain power to figure out how to work an email. So you're all right. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, you no. know, you're uh, yeah, you're all in your suits and ties, stuck in the marble halls. <laughs> Brilliant. Well, um, also, obviously, thanks to my co-host Kai and to Yoni. And just before we go, remember to follow us on Twitter at Blazers FG Pod, and also on Facebook. Bizarrely, we're still on there at Blazers for Goalpost. And um, that's all for us from now. Thanks a lot, everybody. Goodbye. <laughs>